This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 72 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me right next to me is Richard Halls. Hello, Mike. Good to see you in person once again. Absolutely. So this week we're recording um, in the midst of the fighting fist fight uh, in the midst of the Fighting Spirit Film Festival here in Stratford, and uh, we're sort of sneakily recording uh, in in the lobby of our hotel before going into day two. Now, Rich, um, last night we saw uh, the Deck Collector, and we had a nice little interview, nice little sit round chat with uh, Scott Atkins, Jesse Johnson, and Lewis Mandalore. How do you think it went? The chat. All of, all, of, all of it, all the festival so far. Yeah, it was a brilliant evening. Uh, it was very, very nice, very good. Well, um, the guys uh, were very accommodating. Uh, really nice. Uh, Jesse Johnson got me a cup of tea and that as we were all sitting down <laughs> to have a, have a bit of a chat, as you, uh, as you'll listen to in in a short while. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I think they were just pleased to sort of be able to present the film to a to a, mm. such an enthusiastic crowd really absolutely and it did go down very well uh, last night the, the crowd was very appreciative i mean it's, it's had a weird history in the uk because it was pulled from dvd release went straight to vod uh, it, it appeared on netflix like a week before this particular showing um which is just bizarre but even so you know i mean the, the, the theater wasn't packed but there was a large appreciative audience for it mm. yes and uh, I, I, unlike yourself, uh, I hadn't seen it, and I was very impressed. And I think it's uh, if if you guys have uh, who are listening, who uh, if you haven't seen it after listening to uh, Mike and Will's review, mm. uh, definitely check it out because it, it's it's one of the best films of the year. Yeah, it's it's a damn good film. Um, but anyway, that's enough about the Debt Collector for now. Uh, this week we are looking at three films, two of them Polish. We'll be looking at the um, World War II drama um, Hurricane and also the slightly post-World War II drama uh, The Last Witness. Not only that, but we also have the latest film from Pascal Logier called Incident, Incident in a Ghost Land. I almost say ghost house there. Um, but we've also got the, uh, the washing up, the coming soon section, and we're going to dive straight into the DTV chart. Right, this, now it's time for the DTV chart. Uh, this is the chart that was uh, published on September 9th, uh, 2018. Uh, what we've done is we've stripped out everything that's not a DTV feature from the official UK chart top 100. And we were mentioning the, the, uh, just a minute ago, uh, Instant in the Ghostland, and that's we- this week's number five. Yeah, so we'll just skip straight over that because uh, we're going to be talking at length about it in a minute. At number four, a film that's from Warner Brothers and hanging on very well. It's, I mean, I think it's been voice, bolstered by the uh, on-screen, uh, the big-screen antics of the Meg. Yeah. It's Deep Blue Sea 2. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what sort of the feedback is for that film. I mean, production-wise, it's pretty decent. Um, it's just the, the sharks they have. I mean, they're using bull sharks, but they, they don't sort of like... They're not the main threat. You know, it's these sort of baby sharks, so so they're not sort of, a bit more sort of CGI friendly, I guess. You know, to sort of uh, render. But, um, Do you yeah. think people are picking Deep Blue Sea Two up as an alternative to go and see the Meg, or because they've seen the Meg, they're picking it up? Or possibly, yeah. I, I think more of a you know as a sort of lead in, maybe, or mm-hmm. also you know, more of that sort of killer shark goodness, basically. And of course, uh, the, mm. the the fan base. I think you know. I think although it's not a massively mm. well known film, I think it's a film that people remember well enough to say, 
yeah, I'd yeah. quite like to check out some oh, more yeah. of that. The other one, uh, Sonny mentioned to me yesterday that there's a new Australian one called Frenzy. Have you come across that yet? No, I don't no. think so. No, no it's, it's just just in passing. Sonny mentioned that. As a I, shark, I was, shark I was shudd- I'm stumbling because I was thinking, have I? It's just there's so many different shark movies around mm. that, uh, to be honest, I lose track. Yeah. <laughs> Because next year there's going to be 47 meters down two, two isn't there? Yeah. Which, which, you know, for its sins actually looks not bad. But anyway, we digress. Let's crack on. Okay, so number three is last week's number one. It's the one we're going to talk about later. It's the British Polish co-production, The Last Witness. Yeah. So we'll just skip straight through to number two. Number two is uh, a very interesting-looking film from, I believe, it's director Thomas Woodruff. Mm. It's Gangsterland. Yeah. This. Um, this is pretty polished. We, we just had a look at the trailer before we uh, started off. So, you know, this is in the same sort of area as sort of like... Um, they, what's that one with uh, Ben Affleck? Um, they Live by Night? Live, live by Night. Live by the by other night. thing that popped to my mind was Mobsters. Remember that yeah, one with Richard Grieco and yeah. Christmas Slater? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially with... Um, what's his name in the cast of this one? Um, James... Uh, who did we say it was? Jason Patrick. Jason it? Patrick, yeah. And we've also got uh, say, a young cast of... Um, Sean Farris, mm. Peter Fascinelli. Well, I say young; they've been around for quite a while yeah. now, but they're still very youthful guys. Uh, Peter Fascinelli and uh, Milo Gibson, who yeah. again we will talk about in a, in a little while because he's yeah. also in Hurricane. Because um, yeah, the you know Sean Farris, his face isn't quite as angled as it used to be. He, he used to look a lot like a young um, Tom Cruise. But now he's sort of morphing a bit more into sort of a young Ben Affleck. Yeah, I've, I've always thought, yeah, he's kind of yeah, between those two. The funny like... thing is, I always thought Peter Fascinelli looked a lot like Tom Cruise. All right. So I was, mm. it's kind of like two little Tom Cruises. But this was uh, the same director, I think, who did uh, American Violence, which mm. we thought looked really good, had a good cast, yeah. but it was just not a very good film overall, no, that's all about itself. Um, and you know, hilariously bad, I thought. But Indeed. This, but this, uh, you know, I, I think the, this guy's a talented filmmaker. I think if he can get the elements right, uh, there's the potential for us to be a very yeah. enjoyable film. So it's definitely now that I've seen the trailer, uh, definitely one I'm actually really interested to see. Yeah. Which is what is our next film? So the number one this week is. It's been released as Hatchet Four, but its original title is, is Victor Crowley. Victor Crowley, indeed. Um, directed by Adam Green again. Um, he did all, he's done all four films. He returned to the director's chair for did this he do one. Three? I think he didn't. I don't think he didn't do three, did he? There was something. It's either he didn't do three or he didn't do two. Yeah. So um, it, the franchise has been running since the early 2000s, yeah. mid 2000s. And uh, I actually only, I, I think. I saw the first one at Fright Fest, I think, mm. and I haven't actually seen any of the sequels. I, I've seen all three. The, the The third one is a prequel, I believe, um, but they are good fun. Uh, the, the first one had well, in the well, first one in the first one she's a well known sort of screen queen sort of is it Daniel Harris. Daniel I know Harris, she, yeah, she's, she's in the first one, replacing the second one by somebody else. But um, this one brings back Parry Shen. He's the only character who's actually survived all three films so far, um, and he's. Um, sort of brought back because he's the survivor. They, they, you know, they, somebody's making a documentary about what happened in in the first two films, and you know they basically pay him a lot of money to go back. And of course, bad things happen. Um, but it, it's it's more of a an actual comedy with horror rather than a horror with some you know over the top comedic moments. There's more sort of one liners and things in this one. Uh, from the trailer, at least, and from what I've read. But, um, yeah, this is the one I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm quite curious to know why the... I mean, they've 
call it Hatchet 4 over mm. here, but say originally it was just Victor Crowley. I'm, I'm interested to know what they've done that's different about it that makes it mm. not Hatchet 4, if you see what I mean. Whether there's anything distinct, or, or whether they're just doing a John Rambo kind of, or Rocky Balboa kind of thing of saying, it's, we're going to do a sequel, yeah. but we're going to. Different. We're going to take the franchise title away yeah. and just name it after the character. I, th- I think it's more a case of trying to set it in the real world by, by making it a sort of a documentary set. You know, giving that sort of faux documentary sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like saying, oh, the, you know, these events happened like ten years ago. So yeah, I think I think that's why. But I suppose they're sort of trying to play. You know, uh, rightly or wrongly, I think. People remember who Victor Crowley is, you know. So even though those films are like ten years old now, yeah. um, I'm sure I'm sure everyone remembers who they were. Who well established with the fan base. Yeah, I, I, I straight you know my mind went straight to Alistair Crowley because I've been reading mm. up on him um, a little bit recently. So I'm like, oh, right, it's a film about Alistair Crowley. Oh no, mm-hmm. it's Victor Crowley. Yeah, there is an Alistair Crowley film uh, Matt, with uh, Simon Callow, uh, All right. written by uh, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Oh, another one. Uh, Chemical Wedding. That's right. That's yeah. a British film. That's a bit of a weird one, but yeah, I got yeah. slightly off track. So yeah, uh, Hatchet so Four, Victor Crowley. Yeah, number, it's, number it's, one. it's an interesting sort of um, sort of mix of films. So so you got like outright horror, sort of schlocky sequel stuff, sort of worthy sort of like doc, sort of drama in the middle, mm. and, and this will go schlocky again towards the end, basically. But uh, yeah, so um, an, an interesting sort of um, slice of uh, the current. Um, UK DTV market. I'm actually really surprised that Hatchet. I was very surprised when I put the chart together that Hatchet Four was the number one mm. because I think it's more it's more niche than I would have expected to to get to that position. I mean, in terms yeah. of where it ranked in the um, in the official chart top 100, yeah, they could have all been in the bottom half. But I think Hatchet Four was quite mm. up there. You know, I think it was probably. I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was in the 20s. Yeah, well, I, I think I think it is a sort of reliable franchise mm. so you know like, like um, long term or something like that yeah. so yep so there we are that is the DTV chart for this week okay it's time for the coming soon section and this week we've got seven trailers to take a peek at and we're going to start off with a doozy it is the Master Z Ip Man Legacy trailer from Yang Wu Ping um, this is a spin-off from uh, Ip Man 3. It takes the um, the antagonist from the end of that film and, and gives him his own spin. Um, very excited to see this, not only because it's directed by Yen Ping, but also it's got Dave Bautista and Michelle Yeoh. Um, and Michelle Yeoh is back into ass-kicking mode. So, and we've got Tony Jaa in there as well. And Tony Jaa in there as well, yeah. So Max Zhang, I don't really know his no. work. I haven't seen the last film, so I don't know much about his character. What can we expect? Um, he is in Ip Man 3 he is a very sort of traditionalist um, Wing Chun um, master and he believes that his system of Wing Chun is is the only one that should be in existence mm-hmm. yeah. and so he has this big fight then with, with um, Ip Man and loses and he's, he's kind of forced to sort of eat humble pie you know I mean he's, he's an honourable person yeah. so he admits that yeah, I was wrong. I was, I was arrogant, you know. And they sort of part, sort of like, not exactly friends as such, but sort of like, you know, with, with a lot of respect for each other. So, so he was one of the key opponents. In, in that, he was, in the he was a key, yeah. He started off as like an ally, and then sort, of, you know, um, as the film progresses, and his his sort of arrogance sort of takes over, and he sort of he has, you know, you know the classic bit in um, um, Fist of Fury where they got the sign of where it says like all Chinese are weak or something like that. He's got a similar sign saying, like, you know, I, I'm the only master of Sol Wing Chun in this town. 
and at the end of the film he he's, he, he breaks it in half you know it, it's it's a real sort of like symbolic moment it's really cool so that sort of sets up his character as sort of be, he's, he's honorable and things like this so you know and, and a badass so yeah, so it's, so it's not really kind of a he was the villain and he's kind of become the hero of it, like a boyker undisputed kind of. Not not as thing. such. No, it was, it was more sort of a a dispute of philosophy rather than mm-hmm. anything else. But yeah. it ended up in a sort of serious fight, you know, uh-huh. a sort of serious duel. So we've taken a trailer, look at the trailer for this one, mm-hmm. and me uh, coming from the outside, having only seen It Man one and not mm-hmm. any of the other, basically any of the other It Man movies, of which there are plentiful. I think there's oh. even TV series and stuff about the mm-hmm. It Man character. Um, I thought it looked great. I'm not familiar with Max Zhang either. I thought it looked really good, as you would kind of expect from Yun Wu Ping. Yeah. Uh, the action's really solid. And yeah, I think this is definitely one we want to take a look at, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I do recommend the other two. There's two sort of like unofficial Ip Man films without Donnie Yen. And they're actually both really good as well. There's um, The Final Master. The Final Master. No, no, Final Master. That, that is a good film. Um, Final Fight with um, Anthony Wong. Right. And I can't remember what the other one was called. But it actually had one of Ip Man's sons in it. Oh. Um, it sort of does a cameo. That, that, that was really good. And, and that has Yen Byo and um, Sama Hung in it as well. So, oh, right. Yeah, Yen you don't see him anymore. Don't see him a lot, no. doesn't do a lot. I don't know what happened. Why did he retire or something? I don't know. Yeah. But um, So what was I, I thought of the title? Was the, fi- the final... Um, final Master is... Is, final Master. A, is, is that a film? Is that it a is a film. Yeah. And it is a very good film. But it, it's, it is probably the most art house film I've seen right film. and there's also the Grandmaster as well yeah that's which... another again that's another sort of art housey kind of you know you think you think in terms of like Crouching Tiger Hidden yeah. Dragon kind of thing mm-hmm. you know where, where the so, somehow the actual martial arts bit is kind of incidental to the the characterization mm-hmm. but um, yeah Final Master is pretty heady basically mm-hmm. you know it's trying to wrap your head around people's motivations and what they're actually up to is um, takes a while Okay, next up is something a little bit more sort of like um, sort of straightforward by the looks of it is the Golden John. But even so, this looks absolutely fantastic. Um, the cast is great. You've got Ekin Chen in there. Um, is Lam Ching Wing in there as well, I think we said. Um, Eric Chan. Um, Who'd also directed the film. Yeah. And it just looks like a straight up brilliant action movie. It's a caper film, it's isn't it? It's a caper it? film. It's um, yeah. a bit like um, we watched the things like the Shanghai job recently mm. or smart chase as it was yeah. originally called and uh you know italian job and you know that mm. it's that kind of thing uh yeah advent- like tons of and violence basically so yeah it looks it, it, a, it, yeah. They, they, like they've really invested a lot mm. in it as, as i find with a lot of um chinese films they like ensembles yes they, they do like lots and lots of characters mm. and uh they've got a, a hell of a cast here yeah. and uh it's interesting, I, yeah, because when you, when you get someone like um, Dante Lam directing, you know, he, he likes to use the same actors again and again, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you see the same characters, you know, not in the main cast, but yeah. it'll have like a five-minute sort of cameo as, as a sort of backup character, mm-hmm. which is always really good to see as well. Yeah, it's quite, quite enjoyable. I think this one's going to be, I mean, there's loads of great films coming out in mm-hmm. China at the moment, like... Um, You've seen Operation Red Sea, haven't you? Oh, it's coming like out that. next month, can't wait. Coming out soon. There's, there's loads of... Re- I mean, it's the mm. whole Wolf Warrior 2 effect. I think people mm. are really interested in what's happening in in China's action yeah. cinema at the moment. And this looks like a, another top, uh, top yeah, one to look forward to. Definitely, definitely. Um, a bit more sort of dramatic is The Night Comes For Us. No, actually, that's not a dramatic one, is it? This The Night Comes For Us is the one with um, Joe Taslim and... Um, 
Ikaruei. Ikaruei, yeah. So we got, we've got a whole uh, the villainous kind of thing going on with this one, and it's only a sneak peek, so we haven't seen mm. a lot of footage, but take the first-person villainous kind of stuff out, which personally mm. is not a style that I enjoy. No. Um, but the rest of it, I thought, looks, you know, as it looks uh, yeah. really, really good. The thing, the thing with that sort of POV thing, you know, I mean, things like Hardcore, Hardcore Henry, Henry. It, it, um, it doesn't allow you to enjoy the film as much. You know, it's saying like, all right, you're now that character. I'm like, okay, but what's my motivation? You know, how did I get here? Why am I making these choices? You, you know, you, you've got no clue as, as to what that is. And it ends up being, you know, um, games like... There's sort of certain video games where it's like a shooting game and it's like on rails and the game sort of takes you from place to place to sort of do the next bit. That's that's exactly what that sort of thing is to me. You know, it's just like I'm, I'm just it's it's not a film. It's like a, a VR experience. Yeah. And it's not it's not what I pay my money for. It's it, yeah, it's not a style I particularly like. And I, I I think you you've seen Hardcore Henry, haven't you? you said I you haven't did. yet. It's on Netflix now. Oh, you so, so uh, yeah, because like, we've seen something seen, like that. I mean, there's a, yeah. I mean, it was the, the short. Hardcore. So the shorts they did. Um, I've, I've sort of seen those. But there's been some DTV releases mm. that have followed that style as well yeah. about various different there, there was this little um, there, there was a period where people were putting cameras on the gun barrels mm-hmm. and things yeah, like to that do, uh, yeah. Doom and yeah. first person shooter kind of stuff yeah, yeah Doom has a whole sequence doesn't yeah. it yeah, we watched that quite recently again it'd be uh, interesting to see what they do in Doom the new Doom oh, yeah. film yeah, I think Lewis Mandalore actually yes I think so yeah. Anyway, we digress as we usually do. Um, Project Gutenberg sees uh, Chow Yun Fat back in a long trench coat and dealing with um, counterfeit money again. Uh, this looks very good indeed. It's another sort of very polished um, trailer. Uh, doesn't give a lot away, but um, promise you know it hints at sort of promises of um, things to come. Yeah, so this is probably probably one of the ones that struck me the least. I think I'm, I'm interested in the cast. Mm. But not massively interested in the story. Right. Yes. Um, moving on to Ash is the purest white. This is a more sort of dramatic fair. It's set over a period of seventeen years um, about a sort of violent relationship between um, a man and a woman. This looks very interesting. It's got a cast of um, well, f- f- from a Western point of view, I think mostly unknowns. Lots of Chinese names that we're not very familiar with um, at the moment. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's uh, more of a dramatic film, I think, mm. about um, kind of a relationship. Yeah, uh, more so, than maybe more than the, than the action. More, much more of an art house kind of project. So, yeah, which, but um, uh, it still looks pretty interesting. Yeah, and that kind of leads us into uh, Shadow. Shadow. Now, this um, this this really does sort of like um, cross the board. You know, it's sort of both sides of the fence. It's art house, but it's also incredibly action-packed, incredibly well shot. It, it looks like the whole film is in, in the sort of monochrome, you know, whether it's not actually pure black and white, it's, um, you know, had all the colour more or less sort of bleached out of it. Um, and we were talking about that this is, uh, because this is from Zhang Yimao, who did Hero, yeah. which is a vibrantly colourful film. Hmm. It's like this is, couldn't be more different in terms of, uh, I mean, thematically similar. Yeah. But in terms of the the visual uh, dimension, it's yeah, going to be a completely different kind of that's thing. That's right. But it, but it, again, it looks incredibly stylish. Um, and you're saying it sort of sort of picks up on the it's the yin, yin and yang. yang. Yeah, kind that's of right. Theme. Yeah, yeah. The, the the early poster for it had the sort of sort of two swordsmen 
sort of facing off, sort of in a field of wheat, where, where it'd be almost like a you know crop circle yeah. sort of thing, but done in a yin yang. Uh-huh. It, it really, and they're, really, and they're really, standing there, I guess, is it like a yeah, a, 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 a bird's eye yeah. view, and they're the eyes of the, that's right. of the fish. It, look, it looks damn good. Yeah, um, hopefully that's going to get a release. Uh, our final one is Kung Fu Monster. Um, the trailer doesn't give a lot away. Yeah, I'm it, not sure to make one of this. This is sort of like a fantasy period um, film. I, I guess it's sort of in the same vein as the sort of Monster Hunt films, the two Monster Hunt films, um, which were very popular, um, both being released in this country as well. Um, so, yeah, so, it, you know, it's a mixture of sort of martial arts and sort of CGI creatures and that sort of thing. Um, the, the trailer is very fastly edited. You know, it's, it's difficult to sort of get a real sort of grip of what's sort of going on. Uh, it's just a case of you know a feeling more than anything else but it's it's one to keep an eye out for if you if you liked um, the monster hunt films then definitely this one will be up there okay it's time for our first review and it's going to be the film hurricane this is a anglo-polish production set during world war ii and it centers on um it's a squadron is it three three squadron three oh three 303 Squadron, who are mostly made up of um, Czechs and Polish um, people who managed to escape from the uh, main, mainland Europe and um, have to basically fight for the right to uh, fight for um, the British. And it sort of centers on, on a few characters, including uh, their squadron leader, who's Canadian, um, who's given the um, sort of the job of trying to get them into shape. Uh, Rich, over to you. What, what do you make of this little film? I've been looking forward to it for a long time because the story of 303 Squadron is one that uh, is, it's been covered in books and stuff, but it hasn't really been covered in movies, and the Poles made such a fantastic contribution to the Battle of Britain and were basically pivotal in us winning winning that and sort of turning the tide of the war. So it, there's, uh, it's great that this film's out, and it, it's actually, funnily enough, it's one of two. Uh, we've got the, so this mainly British British-Polish co-production but it's mainly British but there's also a Polish production as well which has actually come out at the same time Uh, unfortunately not in the UK I I thought it would be out in in some selection of this but not yet so this is the time for that story to come out it seems and uh, this is a a very good uh, very good film sort of to tell us that story it's not amazing it's not brilliant but uh, it's they've done a pretty decent job. It, yeah. it, it falters with some of the aerial combat sequences and stuff, unfortunately. The aerial combat stuff it, it mixes um, sort of live footage uh, with some not totally cheap effects. You know, they, they, they are, uh, I would say they're a step above like asylum sort of standard, mm. um, but some of them are a bit lazy. You know, um, but there is some good footage in there overall I think uh, I, I didn't mind the aerial footage too much um, but it does get a bit repetitive unfortunately you know, yeah so. and I found it hard to get my bearings on where I was mm. in some of the some of the, yeah. the dog fights and stuff mm. who, who, remind me who the main character is uh, the actor Ewan... so his name is Ewan Rian so yeah. he's they've cast a what's interesting is they've cast a Welshman as the lead yeah. Polish character but he he has he does actually handle a lot of polish language uh, dialogue which yeah, was a, right, yeah. a real surprise to me i thought they'd shoot it mainly in english but i just said it was like maybe 
60-40 English-Polish language to it, or maybe even maybe 70-30 or something like that. But there's a, there's a, there's a sizable yeah. chunk. As, as you say, he has to do a lot of Polish dialogue because he's the um, sort of main mouthpiece for interpreting the, the English instructions, isn't he? So, yes. So we're, we're, uh, he, he's the guy... He, so, he knows English. He knows English, The other ones yeah. don't. So, um, yeah, when we first meet him, he's posing as a Swiss national. He gets he, he basically gets captured by the Germans as to sort of talk his way out of the situation right at the beginning, which is quite funny. Um, he makes his way to to England, uh, meets up with um, sort of fellow compatriots. Um, but then they, there's this sort of slow slog, isn't there? Sort of um, trying to convince high command that they're actually willing to, well, they're not just willing to fight, but able to fight, because there's this sort of stigma, so going, yeah, but you're Polish, Poland, you know, you lost in like three days or something, so you didn't get a chance to sort of really sort of show your mettle there. Yeah. But, um, and there's a sort of little bit of an arrow, it's quite funny, because one of the lines he says is, um, is just, oh, oh, just point, point us in the right direction and we'll get the job for, finished for you or yeah. something. <laughs> and in fact, one of the best lines in the, one of the best scenes in the film for me yeah, he's doing was the, uh, the Canadian, um, the Canadian guy, um, I forget his name, but um, yeah, but the, you know the, he's getting a lot of shit from the, from the men, sort of going, "Oh look, we know how to fly, we know this. Why are we t- why are you teaching us bloody geometry? Why are you teaching us about sort of uh, imperial measures and sort of things like this?" And you know, we we you know we've we've known for we've had a fire, we fought for our country, and it goes, "Yeah, but you lost." You know, <laughs> and I'm trying to sort of get stop you from losing, basically. And he does this really good speech to sort of like make them shut up and put up, basically, which I really liked. Um, yeah, so so there's there's other things going on. There's there's, um, there's the, the blonde woman who sort of, like, sort of ends up sort of taking a shine to um, sort of Ewan's character. That was one of the things I didn't yeah. like about uh, the movie was mm. that was the whole subplot with her mm. character and the. I know, I guess it was kind of you know, give something to for the audience to sort of engage with in a, in a romance and stuff yeah. and that's always kind of a thing to put in this kind of stuff yeah. but for me that was the weaker it part of the film bit, yeah. she's actually um i don't remember her name but she's recently probably probably best known for playing jane tennyson uh, the younger version of uh, helen mirren's character from the linda laplante books in uh, prime suspect 1973 oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I thought she was actually quite good in she's the good role. Yeah, she's good yeah. uh, i say i didn't read i just didn't like yeah. that particular aspect of the film as much yeah, I mean one one of the things the film does sort of uh, convey quite well as well is the um, uh, the sort of war of attrition basically that, that you know the Battle of Britain had, um, and by the end of the film they're doing I think that it's like you know they've been on call for like thirty six hours straight, you know, and they just look so knackered. And I think at one point you, you sort of Ewan's characters like popping pills, and they go, "Well, Saturday goes, oh, well, this is this is what counts as sleep these days," mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know that sort of final sort of battle scene, he, he just looks so haggard. You know, you, you know, you can see the bags under his eyes. He hasn't slept for days, and yet he's supposed to be flying an aeroplane and shooting down Germans. It's like crazy stuff, really. The um, the film is uh, what's interesting is that this is the it's been had a sizable marketing campaign hmm. because it's been backed by Rakuten, the um, video on demand service, mm-hmm. as their showpiece showcase film for taking them into sort of film you know um a bit like what sky cinema yeah, have done so, recently sort of film appropriation yeah so, so, so they're not just cater- take- so they're not just curating films but they're also yeah backing them and yeah. and, and presenting them under their own banner now mm. so uh, sky cinema did it and recently with like final score and, mm. and so they 
they're putting these films on their services, but mm. they're also putting them in cinemas at the same time to mm. raise their profiles. So they're essentially video on demand, but the um, the cinema exposure yeah. just sort of gives them that sort of platform. And you know, they've thrown a lot of you know compared to other DTV releases, they've thrown a lot of marketing at it, so it's no. got much higher profile. So I expect yeah. it's probably done reasonable business. Um, time will tell. Time will tell as to how many other productions they end up actually yeah. doing this with. But it cost them, it was quite reasonable because when you get films like this, so for example, the recent Polish film Cold War, which was put mm. out by Curzon, they do the same thing, it's video on demand, but they're in a select number of cinemas, usually yeah. under 25, same time. So that film was 12.99 to rent. This one was only um, 5.99, and that's in standard or high definition, So, which I thought was very reasonable. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it's directed by David Blair, whose previous films are not war. Uh, he did a film called Away with Timothy Spall recently and Best Best Laid Plans, I think it was another right, one yeah. he did in 2012. And he's done various other things, but he's a Scottish director. Um, he doesn't have any ties particularly to Poland. Poland or Polish history or whatever. I think it's just a sort of subject that he got mm. quite engaged with. We do have uh, one of Poland's best actors, Marcin Doroszynski, as a key supporting character, mm. uh, Abramovitz, I think, was, is his name, and he kind of see him at the, at the start of the film and see his journey, and then he eventually sort of teams up with the other guys, yeah. and they all sort of get together at the end. So it's nice to have that um, for me to, to mm. sort of, in, you know, it's a Polish story with. Uh, there's also another guy in it whose name I don't know, but there's a couple of Polish mm. actors in there amongst the um, English language performers. There's also a Czech actor, interestingly enough. Prior to this film. The biggest, the best movie that has been made about this, and probably still is the best movie, was um, called Dark Blue World, which was a Czech film featuring Charles Dance and yeah. Tara Fitzgerald as, mm. as the English characters. That's a that was a really good. That was a big art house hit, big cinema, mm. big cinema release. So that's probably got the best um, the best version of this story. But that focuses on uh, the Czech actors, yeah. uh, and one of the one of the actors in that film who was only young when he made it is in this one as well, right. which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. He's He's the Czech pilot who's who's, who's really who's got all the attitude yeah, and, yeah. and stuff and always getting into trouble. Don't uh, call me that, so I'll be on my back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's nice that there's that connection uh, to um, to that film. So anyone who enjoys this, definitely check out Dark mm. Blue World. This is definitely worth seeing. I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a weird sort of subplot in this as well. Where one of the characters sort of becomes almost like a conscientious objector. Um, yes. Who um, you know he, he sort of he doesn't like. He starts seeing the Germans as, as sort of you know real people sort of mm. thing. He's a man of faith. Yeah, and, and... but um, but that sort of it, it has a very weird um, resolution, and it's, it doesn't go the way you think. It goes from like zero to a hundred in the opposite direction almost. It's like, it's, a, it's a very strange thing, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's full of incident. I think really it's 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 a bit too long, you know. Um, but it, it's it's still very well done. The production values are pretty high. Do you think it's cinema quality, or do you think, it's I think a, it, it is a VOD kind of? It is movie? it is a DTV kind DTV. of film. I think it would need another layer of polish to sort of finish it off, especially with the soundtrack as well, um, which didn't really sort of push it enough. I think. But the, yeah, the aerial shots, you know, some of them needed tidying up as well, just to sort of, as you say, give it a bit of sense of place direction. Um, and just sort of take some of the fuzziness out of it, mm -hmm. really. So one, of, one of the other key move, uh, key actors in this is Milo Gibson, son of Mel Gibson. So um, didn't we just come across his name? In something yes, he else? was in Gangs. He is in Gangsterland, Gangsterland as well. Right, yeah. 
I think you can definitely see he's Mel's son yeah, in his yeah. eyes and stuff. But I thought he was pretty good in it. I haven't, I haven't really seen him in any. I don't think actually I had seen him in anything yeah. else until now. There's a couple of films I've just been checking out his filmography. It looked mm. quite interesting, but uh, well, yeah, I think he doesn't like, carry the stigma of his dad. <laughs> so, I don't know. Is, is that stigma even sticking around? Is, uh, Mel, Mel seems Mel, to Mel be, seems to be back on top. He, yeah, he's, he, he's bounced back. What twice now, <laughs> two or three yeah. times? You know, he's, he's, um, he's proven to be. A, you know, he's, he's, he's still a very good director, and he's you know um, submitting good films. So, so yeah. how are you going to score it? I'm going to give this a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a seven out of ten. I yeah. think I'm, I think I would watch it again under the right circumstances. I think it's. Hey, I'm glad the story uh, has been told. Uh, there's also I mentioned as a, another thing. Um, Channel Four did a docudrama called Bloody Foreigners. Which right. was which was about these guys. Yeah. Which, that's that's well worth checking out. I think you can find that on YouTube as well. That is one of the key things about the film. It is the, sort of there's a lot of animosity between sort of the British and the and the sort of Polish characters, and the, and there's an afterward after word to the film as well, where they sort of basically draw on what happened after the war. Hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, you know now these guys have sort of like done their job, done their duty. And kick them back out of the country and repatriate them. Yes, there was a, a very bitter aftertaste because uh, Stalin was um, buddied up. You know, Churchill had buddied up Stalin for yeah. help in, in bringing the war to a conclusion mm. and didn't want to upset Stalin. So basically, the Polish contribution, which was celebrated at the time yeah. for their for the for the win, was essentially sort of hidden away and hushed up, and they yeah. weren't allowed to perform in the uh, the victory parades That's or anything. Right, yeah. And uh, a lot of them were sent back uh, to. Basically to their deaths, uh, yeah. uh, unfortunately, and some of them were able to settle here, but you know it wasn't a very mm. easy, wasn't a very easy time. I think one of them, not in three hundred three, but one of these guys actually ended up running a, a hotel bar, sort of basically right. next to where I grew up. So I'm sort of quite curious. But the um, and there are cele- you know there there are celebrations and memorials and things around, but still you know these guys are not uh, as celebrated as they should be. Really. Cool. So. The, uh, more films like this, you know, well, not more films like this, but I think this film and the next film we're going to talk about are a very interesting sort of. It's a very interesting time, I think, for movies. So, uh, in terms of talking about the the aftermath and what mm. happened to the poles after the war, I think that's a perfect lead-in to our next film, it which is. is the Last Witness. The Last Witness. Okay, it's time for our second film. As we mentioned, it's The Last Witness. This is another Polish-British uh, production. Um, and this centres around a newspaper reporter in... When was it? 1943? 1947. 1947. So it's after the war. Um, and it kicks off with a supposed suicide, um, a body washing up on the beach. Everyone says it's a suicide, but uh, our intrepid reporter doesn't quite believe it and he gets involved in this story about a a guy posing as a russian to yeah. to um, avoid um sort of detection and he has in his possession a um a manuscript a, a journal from somebody who was um a victim of a particular massacre at a place called I'm going to get the name I'm going to pronounce it wrong I think it's Katyn it is Katyn, it is Katyn. Yeah, um, sort of during the um, Second World War. So again, over to Rich. So this is again another uh, very interesting part of uh, Polish sort of war, wartime history that was um, largely unknown, but much more sinister this mm. time around because the Katyn massacre was c- uh, conducted 
1940, I think. Yeah. I think it was 40. Uh, and basically, by the Russians uh, to uh, purge any, you know, anybody who was a major opponent who could mm. be, you know, uh, a threat to them when they took over, uh, yeah. and when they were trying to take over it during the war, and obviously. It wasn't until basically um, the Russians were given Poland at the end of the war that, that they actually did take over. And obviously, uh, they didn't want people to know mm. that they'd done that. So, a lie so that was perpetuated I mean, during yeah. the war was that the Germans had done it, yeah. and that was the secret that was kept until very recently. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking like 22,000 people mm. that were, were massacred, um, which is phenomenal sort of numbers and, and sort of buried in mass graves I mean graves. you know it was um, pretty horrific and in fact the, you know the way the film shows it the Germans were pretty perturbed by what they saw you know it's, um, uh, because they are sort of like going out and sort of digging sort of trenches and things and and, and uh, sort of using Polish labour and of course they didn't know anything about it either and, until they sort of discovered the bodies for themselves um, oh. so yeah it's, it's an interesting tale but I don't think um, Personally, I don't think it's quite punchy enough, the way well, what, it's told. No, what we have here is a, a, a drama, a thriller that's been built around that key uh, truth. Mm. Um, it's the, the central last witness of the title. Uh, he's, he's a, he was a real character, real, mm. real, real guy, and he, did, he was found hanged. But the, they built up a, a, a speculative story yeah. around what could have happened. But and you know a grand sort of conspiracy and I think although they've exaggerated it there is a lot of truth in there sure. because the government did perpetuate the lie and did keep the secret and haven't ever acknowledged that it was the Russians that did it. Yeah, the, uh, Brit which the British is government the, has the, never the British government has never actually come out and said, oh by the way, yeah the, the Russians did this. You know they've they've never actually sort of um, admonished Russia for it. Which is kind of strange because this would be the perfect time to do it, you know. Mm. So like, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have here is uh, having talked about Hurricane and the way the guys were treated at the at the end of that film, sort of hidden away, you know, not not acknowledged, mm. being quite oppressed and uh, you know looked down upon, uh, you know, again as they were before. You know, nothing's really changed. Mm. And here we find with the film starts with resettlement camps. Uh, you know, the poles are basically you know in sort of almost in asylum. Camps, yeah, because they? it is, and it is. It is weird to sort of see that in in England. You know, you don't you don't think of that sort of thing. You know, it, it's something you see in America with the, the camps. You know, sort of on the border and things like that. But it's it's not something you ever sort of think could have ever happened here. And yeah, it, yeah there it is. Yeah. It's, it's, no, no. I've sort of looked into you know this kind of stuff before, and I I know that a lot of poles settled here after the yeah. war, and a lot in Scotland as well. With, mm. um, but the but I thought it was always kind of a uh, respectful thing, you know, they mm. kind of made that decision, they stayed and everything was cool, yeah. and so like, no, well, clearly it wasn't. Yeah, it was and, either um, be treated like a second-hand citizen or yeah. go to my instant death, basically. Yeah. So. And so the, but there were, you know, the, uh, some of them went home as well for other reasons, you know, the, mm. they just had that longing to be sure. home, and yeah. that's kind of one of the themes of that film, Dark Blue World, that I was saying about. But the, so what we have here is a fairly plodding, you know, sort of slow-burning kind mm. of dream, which... What lets it? I th Alex Pettifer is the is the lead character. Yeah. You know he's done bigger movies than this. He's sure. you know I'm number four and uh, Stormbreaker. He started out with and stuff like that. Mm. This is probably the lowest budget film I've, I've seen him in. And 
he just sort of plays it too moody for me. You yeah. know, I, I don't really connect with his character very well. Hmm. Um, there's a romance with uh, Tallulah Riley, which is kind of reflective a little bit of of, of the romance in Hurricane. Yeah. Um, but there's some interesting dynamics there, and Michael Gambon's like stuck on the front but he's uh, he's basically a cameo we, we don't we, we see him at the beginning and we see him at the end mm. but he he's not they didn't need him at all <laughs> they just no. kind of, he's kind of uh, window dressing on the whole thing he doesn't he doesn't influence the story in any way whatsoever um, although they try to sort of add a little angle yeah. uh, which I won't give away well, there's, but... there's a little bit as well isn't there that he finally gets his I mean the whole payoff of the film is that he finally gets his article published you know it's mm. sort, of, just sort of bring down the sort of the veil of conspiracy and it's this tiny little sort of like thing in the middle of this sort of huge broadsheet, you know, because because I have so in many, America, yeah, was it in the American? Yeah, because yeah. um, he got all you know so many sort of news stories on the on the front page, and it's just like this tiny little thing in the center, you know, the truth of Katyn. But um, yeah, it just seems like a weird payoff for the film, you know, that that's what it basically builds to is this sort of like little footnote. Um, Sort of almost sort of inconsequential, and yet at the same time, it's supposed to be the, this this sort of um, big rebellion. You know, the fact that he sort of stuck it to the man. Yeah, you know, you can't silence me. I'm going to get my story out anyway, sort of thing. But anyway, um, yeah, it was it was it was plodding. Unfortunately, there, there are some interesting elements to it, um, but overall, it's um, it's a bit more yeah. like a BBC sort of TV production That's exactly, kind yeah. of thing. I Maybe sort of a lower end one because BBC productions are actually really these days high, are highly good, polished. Yeah. Yeah. But the um, so this is a film by a Polish British director. I think he's actually a Br- he's actually born in Britain and that. Mm. His, his name's very Polish, so he's got Polish history. But the um, so he felt a weight of responsibility in bringing the story to the thing. It's an ad- adaptation of a play. Uh, I think the original. I think where we've got the interview section with the with the mm. last witness, uh, Brood, Brood, I can't remember what. You think that's, name was. I think that's I the think issue with the film, then, is the fact that they, they've. Because it, it does sort of have that sort of theatrical feel to it. And I it, think do, it doesn't right. feel right, yeah. really sort of cinematic. As such. No, and there's not really. It's not, you know, big action sequences or anything. No, I think you're right. It's more of a chamber piece, I guess, yeah. kind of thing. And the guy who's playing him, he's like, so in the last one we had Martin Doroshinsky, in this one we've got Robert Vienskiewicz who's probably the best Polish actor yeah. out there. He's also got some had some international credit, you know, kudos and that because he was in um in Darkness, the Agnieszka Holland film that I, th- I believe won the uh, Oscar for best uh, foreign language film uh, a couple of years ago or, right. or it was a runner up anyway. It was very very yeah. highly fated at the time. He was very good in that. More he's, more recently he was in um as well as various Polish films, loads of Polish films. Yeah. Uh, he was in Wałęsa, named Lake Wałęsa, who was the president of, uh, of Russia. Right. Uh, not Russia, president of Poland, sorry. Right. And uh, for a bit, having you know uh, rallied um, the solidarity movement. And, mm-hmm. and that. So that was, that's a very interesting film to see. That's directed by Andrzej Wajda, who made a film called Katyn, which, right. is, which is very much a film to yeah. see. This looks That looks at the Katyn massacre from a very different perspective. Mm. And Vitskevich was most recently in uh, Dark Crimes with uh, um, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey of course, yeah. uh, in an, another English language role, which very very nasty character in that. Mm-hmm. He's he's very good at nasty characters mm-hmm. actually. So he it's really good to see he he elevates this for me. Yeah, uh, seeing him in it sort of gives it a little bit more credibility. He's not in it very much though. Yeah, 
Um, it's mainly Alex Pettifer who's just not strong enough to carry it. I don't think. Which is a bit of a shame. But um, yeah, so that's two Polish films for this week. So how are we going to score this against um, Hurricane? I still think it's a seven for me because I think mm. it's an, it's it's a it's good enough yeah. and it is an important story. To to I think people would still take something or take away mm. something from the movie, uh, and there's enough to enjoy in it. I think. I'm I'm going to go for a five. I, I, I didn't didn't grab me as much as it did you. That's for sure. So yeah, five and a seven for um, the last witness. Our final film this week is Incident in a Ghostland. Uh, this is directed by Pascal Laugier, who did the likes of uh, L'Interior and Martyrs. Uh, in this one, we have um, Beth and Vera, two daughters, and their mother, who move into a rickety old house that used to belong to their aunt. And the very night that they move in, they're assaulted by two intruders, a big burly guy and a transvestite. Um, and the film then jumps 16 years later when we find that Beth is now a successful author, um, but her older sister Vera and her mother are sort of still living in the same house, and um, Vera has never actually recovered from what happened that night. Um, but is that actually the truth, or is there something else going on as well? Um, okay, so this was directed by Pascal Logier, as I said, um, who has a certain reputation for going to extremes. Um, this isn't as extreme as some of his films, but even so, I think it plays it sort of quite close to the knuckle. The initial attack in in the house is is fraught, you know, it really is. Um, and and then what happens at the end as well um, gets gets very visceral. Um, but I, I was really impressed with this. I, I don't know what you thought. Well, I was hesitant because of the uh, what, what was for those reasons for the uh, for the, the visceralness mm. that I was expecting. But it was not the film that I was expecting. Mm. So the the whole jump ahead that we have in 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 time uh, sort of threw me off balance. I wasn't mm. sure quite what was going to happen. Then you kind of get the conventional kind of going back yeah. kind of narrative that's happening. But then things just get completely spun on their head, uh, and it's it's a film that keeps changing you know you're you under undermining any expectations that you're developing you're like oh, okay i think i know what i'm watching now and then it's like yeah and to be honest you know you can you can come away from the film and distrusting everything really yeah. i think you could go down the path of saying what what was really happening from the beginning yeah it is a very strange house uh, as well i mean the, the house that the film is set in is you know it's full of odds and ends and sort of dolls and things like this. The dolls take on a, a particular sort of prominence in the film but it's full of all these sort of weird objects. It's kind of like the cellar in um, Cabin in the Woods almost to that, mm. that degree. Um, it opens with a uh, very clear sign of intent with a uh, not even an epigram, just sort of a, a tribute or something I guess to um, H.P. Lovecraft, HP Lovecraft yeah. uh, which I thought which was really unusual because it's a uh, it has a. It's like the quote is like the best freaking uh, horror writer yeah. ever. Kind of yeah. quote from the character, from the character in there, the movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, who then we are introduced to. So she's a teenage girl. She writes. You know, she's very afraid of everything, and she's mm. she's. But she writes these uh, horror 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 stories yeah. and stuff, and so that's kind of a outlet, and so she's very creative, mm. and then later on she 
becomes a, a famous author for, for, for the story and one of her uh, the, her latest book at this time is Incident in a Ghostland which is about or reflecting on and dramatising mm. what happened to her and yeah. her sister and her mother uh, 16 years ago and that sort of prompts a journey mm. uh, but all is not as it seems and you know we could easily get into some spoiler territory yeah yeah so we are and we are going to get into some spoiler territory on this one so um you know if you haven't seen the film you really want to and you don't want us to spoil it and i suggest pausing now or skipping ahead to the washing up um and, and go and watch the film then come back and and uh, hear what we have to say but um before we get into any any spoilers there's one thing i mean one of the most weird and unsettling scenes at the beginning, we see the truck, you mm. know, and ice cream truck. the ice cream truck, and it's it's got paedophile killer written mm. all over it, hasn't it? Basically, you know, so keep away from that bloody truck. But Beth gives them the finger as they drive past, and they, and when they're getting assaulted, sort of the big guy is sort of dragging her across the floor, and and the camera is looking up from her point of view as she walks past the transvestite. The transvestite just gives her the finger as she as she's yeah, yeah. pulled into the other room. I, I just I just thought that was a really cool unsettling moment because it just sort of you know it sort of gave an idea of what their intent was and all the rest of it and it's like yeah this is payback sort of thing for you know you, you weren't nice to us we're not going to be nice to you sort of thing um, so what we have here are two villains two, two characters who are thinly drawn yeah. uh, and you know we don't know where they came from we don't know if they're brothers or mm. or, or what but one of them and they're very conventional you know cliched even you can mm. say one, we're in Texas Chainsaw Massacre territory. This, what, this, this yeah. is clearly a Leatherface inspir- kind of in, inspiration. Yeah. You know, big, um, you know, sloth from the Goonies or whatever mm. you want to. He's very, very. Uh, uh, who's the one from? Um, See no evil and stuff, you know. So oh, yeah, sort of, of yeah. ar- arrested yeah. development. Uh, mm. You know, guy who's just sort of been kept away and he's just sort of, yeah. you know, uh, he's brutal. But gen- you know, yeah. like babyish, like at the Lenny, same time. Lenny from um, yeah, sort of mice, mice and men, men sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely. So you got you got that sort of thing where he, you know he, he plays rough, basically mm. is, is is the sort of the nicest way you could put it. Mm. Right? Um, but yeah, they sort of you know they focus on the dolls and things, and they dress you know force the girls to dress up as dolls and all this sort of stuff. But the whole thing with the the, the, the flash forward, you know, she she um, Beth sort of builds this sort of life for herself where she's a successful author. She's got, she's married. She's got a daughter. Um, boy. Was it a boy even? <laughs> um, but what was weird for me um, was because I watched this film in two in two sittings. Mm-hmm. So I'd watched up to like when she goes back home because uh, she gets a phone call from her sister in the middle of the night saying help me and all this, and then her mother's sort of nice and calm and things, but the daughter. Is is kept in like a padded cell almost, yeah. you know, and and, and the, they're treating this as if it's normal. And I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, and but because I watched it in two halves, I had time to sort of dwell on it. I'm thinking they're treating this as normal. This is like you know they, they don't see anything wrong with the fact they're keeping this door, you know, this woman who clearly needs like psychological help and should be in the hospital or something, and just keeping her locked up. You know, it, it was it was really freaky. So that sort of set the sort of seeds of doubt in my mind that what we were sort of seeing was actually sort of reality, and and other bits sort of played my mind like um, you know uh, Beth mentions that sorry um, Vera mentions that Beth has written these whole imaginary interviews about herself with like magazines and things as if she is a famous author, 
so you know um, the seeds of doubt were starting to play my mind what surprised me is how soon the film brings that facade crashing down mm-hmm. you know because it's, it's in another film that would be the last thing yeah you know it's like ah yeah. you know, we're, now we're going to pull the rug from underneath yeah well we've and, seen that stuff before exactly we? yeah and, that, and that, that's kind of what I was expecting but you know sort of five, five ten more minutes into the film and all of a sudden she's like no this is happening this is actually happening to me you know and 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 Vera and in fact sort of you know what had happened to their mother had happened to their mother shall we say um so yeah it, it changed the whole dynamic of the film and, and sort of made it sort of something else Here, here's a, here's a question for you do you actually think the house is haunted no definitely not no no the, i mean the the, the uh, so people start getting thrown around mm. and that and then it's kind of from that that she's then shaken out of the yeah. fantasy there is that but there's another element where the the dolls seem to be switching themselves on just at the most inappropriate moment or at the most appropriate moment there's a bit where a blowtorch comes out and is going to be used and it's a really really sort of tense moment it's, it's pretty you know and you think, oh my god, are they really going to do this? And all of a sudden, one of the dolls sort of, you know, gets switched on and goes or something and distracts him enough. And I'm thinking, okay, so what's go- what, what is going on here with the dolls and things, you know? Because but then there's another bit where she's hiding in that cubby hole with the, with the other doll, and it suddenly switches itself on and lets them know where she is. You know, it's like make up your mind. <laughs> yeah, there's kind of a. I think you can question pretty much any aspect of it, mm. even though the the conclusion that seems quite clear. I question even whether the whether the the whole ice cream truck and and the the killers in that ice cream truck are even real at mm. all, or that even perhaps that whole part was. I mean, I know it seems quite clear when because I went back yeah. and looked at it again. You know, all the char- all the same people are there, but mm. who's to say that isn't all? You know, sort of some sort of conjuring. In her imagination, True. but taking it for what it is, yeah. uh, if if on face value, I think it's purely the psychological thriller aspect. Mm. They were in this traumatic situation. It, she has convinced herself that things turned out yeah. much better than they did. It's, you know, they turned yeah, out bad. Yeah, but it's, it's, she it's at least got out. Yeah, and, it's the equivalent and, of um, it's a, a, a Simpsons thing where. Um, Bart Simpson's having to sort of share a room with his dad and his dad's crying over the fact that Marge has left him or something and he's just there going I'm in Disneyland I'm in Disneyland you know sort of trying to convince himself to sleep and it's that kind of thing isn't it it's like um, yeah she, she's like lost herself back into herself sort of, um, in order to sort of shield herself from what's actually going on but it, it, it's just so horrific it's sort of, you know um, reality keeps sort of clawing its way back into um, her sort of sort of dreamland sort of thing. yeah and, and a bit at the end because there's a great line in it uh, where her mother sort of says to um to vera saying i know what you're doing you know you can't take your sister or something like that and it's sort of like it throws things into sort of what the hell's going on you know what is going on here and then at the end there was that sort of nice moment where mum's sort of going well you know you, you don't have to go you know, you can stay. You can stay here in the party with H.P. Lovecraft and all the rest of us. I was just going. No, I need. I need to help my sister. Sort of thing. Is, is, is that, um, you know, that link between sort of reality and the sort of dream state that she's in was, was, was very interesting. So, where I, I kind of got 
it, it was funny how you kind of get lost because we got the um, we've jumped forward in time, so we've got adult mm. character, ad, adults yeah, playing yeah. the actors, and then we it comes crashing down, and we're back with the young actors mm. again. But it took quite a while for me to adjust to that period because they've been brutalized so much yeah, yeah. that you couldn't actually it, like, see much difference. No, it was only then right, it was yeah. like, hang on a minute, I'm back watching these younger characters again. We're back in we're back yeah, in yeah. time. We're back in so how much time has actually gone by? We've been talking about this. Mm. Is debatable. I think. I, I think. Do they play it on the radio or something? That so well, people have gone missing in the in the I think, area. Yeah, yeah. I think. Like I think other things had happened. You know, the the, the, the these this duo in their pedophile truck had um, done other things yeah. in the area. You know, and I think other people had gone missing. And they're brutalizing yeah. them for a long periods. They're yeah. not just staying there for a while. I think. I think, like you say, they've been. Um, I think that from the look of them, you know, they've, yeah, yeah. they've been bruised and battered and yeah. cut, but they've healed. Healed and, and then and more. They've got, and scar yeah, yeah. tissues build up yeah, and everything. Right, so yeah. I think this has happened over quite a long time. Yeah. And because it's quite a secluded house and yeah. everything. So, you know, well, the nobody, fact they just moved in. Well, it was empty, wasn't it? Yeah. And then only really the woman who was at the uh, convenience store yeah. kind of knew where they were going. That's so right, it was yeah. kind of, I think that kind of led into something. Mm. I think that sort of might have led to something later on. But. Um, the police get involved and mm. bits and bobs. I think that's more incidental. The, the um, yeah, it's a it's definitely a film that you need you, that invites you to yeah. watch it again. Mm. Um, I, I I was watching it very late and I was sort of drowsy while, while I was watching it, but I'm, I think I managed to stay with it pretty well. It's quite a demanding mm. watch, really, for this kind of film. It's not what you would. Um, it's definitely more. I'd say like something like identity. Yeah, there's, than, there's definitely that sort of element to it. Yeah, although that's uh, that identity is kind of the film we're saying that this could have been, whereas like the it's that ending that yeah. sort of pulls the rug out from yeah. from under you. Whereas this does that kind of really early, probably about the midpoint, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then, but it, then it changes and then yeah. goes into another place. Mm. So it's sort of like that. Yeah, it's um, yeah. it's quite. An, it, the more I reflect on it, the more I think I, it's a film that I want to see again. Yeah, it's it's definitely one I'd I'd, I'd sit down and watch again. I, I was really impressed with it. I still don't like the title. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a weird title because it's and the cover, you know, the covers, both the the covers I've seen for it don't when, really sort of give you an idea. Well, now I think about it, the, the British cover is actually really good because it's a it's a book, yeah, with a house in it, and, and it's yeah. all about the stories and, and mm. stuff. And she's a writer. I tell you what, as a sort of a, an aside. Mm. It made me think of In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Because that's all about the Sutter Kane books. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the realities and not realities and sort of, uh, the sort of spins there. A completely different kind of setup. Sure. But it, it's, um, I thought it, it was an interesting sort of comparison. It could be an interesting companion piece mm. in terms of psychological horror based around. Uh, you know books. Yeah, you know, and, it, and it does sort of deal with the psychology of horror and terror. You know, it, it's it's about two two characters, and and you sort of see the sort of flip side. What you know, how both characters have dealt with this traumatic experience. You know, you, you take one reality, and you know, um, sort of uh, Beth's got over it, but Vera is stuck in this sort of horrific state where you know she's never got over this 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 assault that happened um and she's sort of stuck in in this sort of terrified state for years um but then on the other side you have beth who has basically retreated into 
this sort of dreamland where, where mm. everything's perfect, you know, and, and she's you know successful and married and all the rest of it. And Vera's just been left alone. I mean, I think yeah. we can in in in, in the, what's indicated in in the film is that mm. she's essentially lost. She yeah, she's like comatose. Probably yeah. she's probably just been there like this. You know, she's probably been well, exactly. Yeah, so it's a bit drool. Yeah, you know, basically. Probably um, Vera's had to look after her mm. to keep her alive, sort of thing. While uh, at the same time being subjected to horrific beatings and probably worse um, all the time. And the, the only reason they've left Vera, um, sort of Beth alone, is as you say, she's in this sort of sort of dead, sort of almost comatose, catatonic state. Mm. You know, as a doll, Catatonic, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's an absolutely good point. But it, yeah, this is definitely. It, it's it's a, a very tense, very atmospheric horror film. I mean, Economical it, as well, yeah. you know. It's not um, a big Most, mostly in one place. Thing, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, it reminds me. There's another film that Pascal Lorgio did called *Livid*, L I V I D E, um, which was about a trio of um, cat burglars, sort of young, sort of teen cat burglars, who break into this house. And it's again, you know, kind of like this. It's a house sort of full of weird. Objects and sort of soup, you know, sort of things, heirlooms and things like this, but it's uh, more sort of vampiric and sort of like occult sort of thing, you know. But it, not like the collection, then. <laughs> no, not like that. But but this, you know, there are weird objects which you know they set off and sort of things happen. That, that, that was really good as well. Um, totally different to sort of martyrs and uh, and interiors hardly any sort of gore in it at all but, now as a brief digression as we're talking about his other films which I haven't seen mm. um, he's a French filmmaker yeah. uh, but has also worked in English language so this one's English language yeah. um, the previous one he did was called The Tall, Tall Man, Man with mm. Jessica Biel that's right and I've heard it's very good I haven't actually seen it yet yeah because the Jessica Biel factor put me off because I was like right. oh it's another you know teeny horror kind, mm. kind of I don't think so she well not played, teen but you know what yeah. I'm saying Jessica Alba and all that kind of sure. you know, those, those I've kind heard, of movies. I've heard it's very good. I've heard it's sort of like a bit like Candyman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I think that was another DT. I don't think I got a cinema at this. But no, I don't. Um, I, I don't think so. Yeah, but I'm definitely. I mean, now that I've seen this, I'm definitely. I'm actually. Mm. That's probably the next film of his that I'm actually yeah, interested in. I think this so. is Canadian production. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother is French in this. So yeah. There is a sort of a French element, mm-hmm. uh, French language element to it, just very slightly. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, very well done. Um, scores on the doors. I'm gonna give it an eight. I'm gonna join you on an eight. Yeah, this is um, it's one of the better horror films I've seen this year. That's for sure. So two eights for Incident in a Ghostland. Okay, it's time for the last part of the show, and it's down to me and Rich to do the washing up. So the first film we're going to look at this week is Apostasy. 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 Yeah, this is a, a drama set uh, in the world of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, particularly those who've left uh, the Jehovah's Witness faith and the way it affects uh, and breaks up families uh, with their what they call their special fellowshipping policy, hmm. which is where if you leave the religion, you're cut off. Totally they won't, excommunicated. They won't, they won't, they won't, yeah, like yeah. yeah, they basically the family is not. Those those who are still in the religion are yeah. will turn their backs on you completely. Which means mm. if you leave, you can essentially lose your friends, your family, everything mm. uh, instantly. Uh, it's a horrible situation, and it's the first time really somebody's made a film about this subject. So uh, it was a it had a it was a Curzon release, so it's been on VOD mm-hmm. for a while. But uh, uh, it's just about and, but it was twelve ninety nine, so I didn't want to rent it. But yeah. the um, the DVD's just coming out, and I can't wait to see it. So. All right. 
Uh, next one is a film called Dead Ringer. Um, I don't know much about this one. This is uh, Richard Colton who did uh, d- uh, the football uh, film, the r- uh, Dangerous... Uh, the Dangerous, one. Dangerous, Dangerous Game. Game. Yeah. So okay. what's curious about this, so it's a British production, but it's also got Tom Sizemore in the cast. So, oh, right. so, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. It's a... Um, I believe it's like a comedy horror sort of kind okay. of thing. I think there's a horror element anyway. Mm. But it's... Going a punk band swaps places with a going a boy band or something. It's got quite of a. It's a proper. It's a comedy basically. Yeah. It's a, but uh, I haven't seen any footage from it. But there's some of the same people who are involved with um, Dangerous Games, so I'd be more than willing to give it a shot. Sounds weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on, we have uh, Downrange. Now this is a favourite of uh, the DZV Digest. Uh, me and um, Dave covered this. Uh, directed by Rio. Rio Kitamura. Oh yeah, Ryu Kitamura. Uh, yeah, anyway, murderer's name as usual. Um, this is a great film. It's it's been on Shudder for a while, coming out on DVD. Uh, about a group of um, college students who carpool together crossing this uh, state, and they get into this sort of very deserted uh, um, stretch of road and get a flat tire. But have they just got a flat tire? No, there's a sniper hidden in a tree, um, taking them out one by one as sport. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, just really, really well filmed. There's, you know, there is a little bit of a lull, probably about sort of three quarters of the way in, um, where characters are just sort of sitting around talking for a little bit, you know, a little bit of a lull. But then another car comes along and it just, the mayhem just ratches up to 11, basically. It's, it's good, really, really good. So the, um, I believe this is uh, probably comparable with something like Beyond the Reach with. Uh... Uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, yeah, a little bit. Um, except the thing is with this one, the, the antagonist, we don't hardly see him. We never get to know him okay. or anything like that. You so know. we're more in like phone booth kind of. Yeah, never we're, we're in one side. Uh, you know, the, so the early part of the film, you know, once they discover what's actually happening, um, is them sort of coming up with ideas of how to sort of try and get out of the situation, you know. But then it becomes a case of we're stuck you know we're, we're, there's there's no hope for us but then it builds up again as, as it goes on it's great really 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 good so there's a lot of these kind of desolate landscape kind mm-hmm. of movies coming out at the moment with uh, Revenge which you were, yeah. you were talking about last week mm-hmm. and I think that's been a, like a Happy Hunting Happy that was Hunting another, yeah. and, and there's the one um, about the Mexicans crossing the border I can't remember what that was called now Desertio Desierto, Desierto. Sounds familiar. Yeah, that that was really, you know, another one. It is, but it does that sort of landscape just lends itself really well, sort of um, cinematically. Mm. And good for you know low budget filmmakers. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. You have to worry about. So, so Goldstone so, was another one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was really good. So um, yeah, the director of this one also did Midnight Meat Train um, and Godzilla: was, Final um, Wars. If Final anyone could ever yeah. check that yeah. out, that's a that's a crazy film. Yeah. He, he, he's, a, he's a great director. Um, I, I really like Me- Midnight Meat Train, apart from the ending. Um, Bradley Cooper, early Bradley yeah, Cooper. Yeah, early Bradley Cooper. The, um, it's weird because mm. there's not many Japanese filmmakers working in the um, in American cinema. No. Basically, it's American cinema, isn't it? And so um, it's quite. I don't think he sort of him and Takasaguchi did mm. uh, Versus. That was their sort of big move, yeah. big move, big breakthrough movie, wasn't it? Do yeah. they do verses? And um, yes, with, uh, with Steven Seagal's son, Kentaro. Think, um, uh, no One Lives as well. Have you seen that? No. Um, that's with um, uh, Luke Evans. Oh, right. Yeah, that's, that's very good. It's actually a, um, it's a WWE production. Uh, 
but there's only one wrestler in it, and he's only it's in quite one common, scene. Isn't it now yeah. that they're, they're it's like one of their young, one of their sort of lesser known. Um, yeah, so downrange, really, really cool. Um, definitely check that one out. Um, next, we have <laughs> Escape Plan Two finally coming out in the UK. Um, Again, this is another one that had a, a, a VOD release sort of window, mm. so it came out a month or so back with a cinema, a simultaneous. A cinema Short release cinema. to raise its yeah. profile again, like we've sort of talked mm-hmm. about it a bit like. Um, we talked about this a long movies. time well, I'll say a long time ago, a few months back, um, in the coming soon section. And we sort of um, we surmised at the time, based on the trailer, that um, Stallone's character was going to be the guy behind the desk mm. and not the main character. And I think that's. It's almost true. He yeah. does get out and about a bit. I haven't seen the movie, but mm. I've, I've seen enough reviews to know that mm. he's not in it a huge amount. Yeah. And also. Batista's not in it a huge amount. Yeah, it's, it's actually, actually a, a Asian guy, isn't there? I yeah, I think it's a partially Chinese-funded yeah. movie, and the lead of the movie is mainly a, a Chinese character who's <laughs> nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be seen on, on, the on the artwork yeah, that, here. So there's, yeah. there's, it's again, unfortunately, it's one of those instances of they're selling it as one thing, and mm. it's actually something completely different, so it's going to leave yeah. uh, audiences dissatisfied. Um, Can you remember who directed this? Because it was somebody sort of semi-decent. Stephen C. Miller, I believe. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so yeah. he'd worked with Batista before on mm. Marauders. That's right. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to see Stallone doing a DTV movie. Yeah. For meaning to say that it did get. A, uh, I don't. It's it's not really comparable for a theatrical run, which is mm. why it's you know it's a, it is a DTV movie sure. basically. So it's interesting <laughs> to see him going down that route. Um, I don't know what else Stallone's sort of got coming. I mean, he's been DTV before. Yeah. I mean, done uh, well, I mean, heavens uh, before his career resurrection. Four at some point. Yeah. But there's also um, an Escape Plan Three on the way, isn't there? Um, they shot it back, shot to, back to back. back yeah. yeah. So Escape Plan Two was called Hades originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Escape Plan Two Hades. They've dropped that over here. That subtitle uh, and Escape Plan Three is uh, should follow it in uh, a few months' time. It'd be interesting yeah. to see what what that ends up being. And that one's done by uh, the guy who did Hard Rain. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Finnish or Swedish mm. or, or something, I can't remember what his, his name is. He's done quite a few good films, though, so that mm. um, he could bring something extra to the set. Stephen C. Miller's not really done a lot of sure. theatrical, uh, you know, big cinema quality movies, so yeah. I don't know, maybe the third one will turn out to be, a le- a, they might have learned some lessons from the second one, I don't yeah. know. So, our next one, this, this is where we're really missing Dave Wayne on the panel, um, Global Meltdown. I, I know he's seen this, but he hasn't commented on it, so so I don't know. Is it? But it's weird though because all these films are coming out with covers that are virtually identical, mm. and it's easily to get them confused. I mean, uh, last week I think it was the uh, Eruption LA came out. Yeah, that's. Oh, maybe I'm getting confused. And then that. there was another one a few months ago mm. with a, a similarly a disastrous cover, the mm. title of which I forget. Um, it's it's almost as if you go. Well, which one is it? And you say, "Oh, it's the one with the helicopter ha- um, hovering over the city being destroyed." You go, yeah, but which one? Which one of those? Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. there's still half Don't a dozen of those. So anyway, um, is that a, is, is it an asylum oh, one? Uh, I don't believe so, but I might be wrong. So, Global Meltdown yeah. is from the uh, one of the producers and I think writer of um, the "I Spit on Your Grave" remake. Uh, All right, he was Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he wrote this. Oh no, he did a screenplay for one called "I Spit on Your Grave: Vengeance Is Mine." That was the sequel to. So that's the, the sequel s- to the remake. Yeah. Or is that "I Spit on Your Grave 3? Is, is it? Looks like a. The no. poster. It's um. 
when it comes up. Yeah, I spit on your grave three. Oh, yeah. Vengeance is mine. So yeah, he wrote. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know there was a third one. Mm. Um, so he co-wrote that and producer, and he's also done some other things. But this is a TV movie with Michael Parry. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. Uh, who we just watched in uh, the Deck Collector, the, the deck collector uh, and I thought he was really good in that. And um, mm. I, I think Michael Parry is one of those guys. He just—he's a jobbing actor. He turns up in lots of stuff. Yeah. He doesn't normally get a very meaty role. He's mm. kind of a cameo guy these days. But um, in, in so, Deck so, Collector, yeah, he was good. you know, people, people know him. Sort of, sort of still respect his work. Mm. Okay, uh, Scooby Doo and the Gourmet Ghost is the next one. Now, I, it's funny when I looked at the cover earlier. I didn't read the title properly. I thought they were sort of dressed as dentists on the cover or something. I thought, oh my god. Um, so yeah, this is the latest in a long line of Scooby Doo movies, um, uh, in which they cross over with various characters from other uh, yeah. environments. And in this case, it's a it's another odd one because it, it's a it's a crossover with the world of celebrity chefs. You're kidding me, really? <laughs> uh, and these are guys known in America: Bobby Flay and Glader De Laurentiis okay. in Scooby Doo and the Gourmet Ghost original movie. Weird. Um, so, yeah, they've gone through through wrestlers yeah. and uh, crossovers with uh, Batman, Batman stuff, as well. Yeah, things, lots so. of other things. And now it's and now it's celebrity chefs. Is this the bottom of the barrel? For... Uh, it must <laughs> so, be getting pretty close. I mean, come I on, mean, guys. We, we're into probably like the thirtieth or whatever yeah. of these movies. Yeah, I remember when they first started doing them. Actually, the first one was actually sort of a decent sort of meta sort of version of sort of like updating. You know, they, they, they've sort of put Mystery Inc. Um, away for a while and sort of coming back into it, you know, years later. And I, and I thought they did quite a good job with that. But, yeah, some of the other ones just obviously just getting sillier. Just as an aside, you were saying a couple of weeks ago that you thought the Daphne and Velma Daphne and Velma approach was, was, really, it uh, was very good. I really enjoyed it, yeah. It's low budget, but it, it works. It really does, you know, and it fits into the sort of the, you know, what you think what you think Scooby-Doo should be, you know. Um, this a little mystery for them to solve. It was, it was very good. Yeah, I thought I enjoyed it. So moving on, so we've got quite a high-caliber film now. Mm. This is uh, Rob Reiner's latest uh, sort of politically incendiary, probably probably appropriate to say, about uh, mm-hmm. shock and awe. So I can see... Is that Selma Blair on the cover? No, we've got Millie Jovovich. Millie um, Jovovich well, Woody Harrelson, yeah, Millie Jovovich, Tommy Lee Jones... Yeah. Rob Reiner himself mm-hmm. and James Marsden and I think that's Evangeline Lilly. I don't oh, know. I can't see. I can't yeah, quite yeah. see her on on that mm-hmm. cover. Oh no, Jessica Biel. Sorry. Right. So this is. So what's the plot of this one? I must have. Uh, it's it's it. all set against uh, like a conspiracy uh, about on nine eleven essentially, uh, uh, and I, I guess sort of government involvement and. Uh, okay. Cover ups and also you know things. I don't know anything about it, but mm. from what I've read, you know, it, it's a it's a kind of film that. Hollywood studios wouldn't want in cinemas and everything, mm. so that, that's probably why it's gone DTV. It's probably so a bit this, too bold in its statements. Sort of more like, you know, Woody Harrelson's quite a political yeah. guy, so I think we can know where this, this is coming from mm. in terms of its sort of, sort of left wing. I guess, I guess you would say. I saw something on the Jim Jeffries show the other day where he interviewed a bunch of these sort of conspiracy guys. You know, you know the whole Q movement. I don't know about Q. No, um, you know a lot about conspiracy stuff. Like yeah, that. this whole thing about um, you know, all these conspiracies and the thing about the letter Q. Um, to do with Trump and things like that, you know, it's like um, you know, oh, you put out um, this 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 uh, message, uh, and the you know there was a particular you put out a tweet, and like there were two words which are in capitals, and when you add the letters up, it comes to the um, the number seventeen, which is you know 
the seven, Q is the seventeenth number in the um, the alphabet and things. So it's all this due to The fact that seventeen and Q keep coming up um, all the time. In his, it was it was it was just really funny because you know the flat earthers and things like this all get tied into it. The whole thing with Peter Gate gets tied into it. You know they believe everything. They believe that nine eleven was just CGI effects. You know it wasn't real. You know, all, um, there's some very sort of crazy people out there, basically, and Trump just panders to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, considering the the cast, this this has got to be worth a look. I think it has definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, not a priority, um, but no. definitely something I'm yeah. curious about. Rob Reiner made, you know, he, he's a, he's a guy who's done fantastic comedies, also mm. done fantastic drama. I mean. Uh, 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 a few good men. Mm-hmm. It, it was, you know, pretty much a classic. Yeah, uh, and so was uh, so his comedy stuff. So it's interesting to see him back doing quite a quite a mm. loud and proud sort of um, dramatic piece, yeah, rather than rather than sort yeah. of a co- rather than a comedy. Absolutely. Okay, moving on to Supercon. Now, this the con in this bit. I think it, it, it's about a superhero convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a caper film. Um, it's a caper film that's set in. Yeah, they're trying to rip off something like Comic Con or, or something, something like that. Like yeah. um, I have seen the trailer for this. It does look quite interesting. There was um, a film a few years ago called Comic Book Vill- Comic Book Villains or something. All right. Which I, th- mm. I think touched on like similar kind of mm. themes, but uh, I, I don't know for sure having not yeah. seen either movie. But the, they seem to be sort of relatable in concept. Yeah. Uh, this one's got Ryan Quantin, who I know you're a yes, massive uh, I'm a fan, fan of. of. Yeah. Uh, but we've also got Maggie Grace, Mike Epps, mm. uh, Clancy Brown. Yeah, that's right, yeah, Clancy yeah. Brown, and John Malkovich as well. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The trailer was actually quite fun for this, so um, yeah, I'll definitely be checking this out at some point. Okay, moving on to a film I know nothing about called Teddy Bear. I think it's uh, some. I think it's some. Um, something. Hang on. Can you... mm-hmm. I put it in there because I think the um, well, not only is it a DTV release, but it was also it looks a, like an interracial romance. Well, it was like a Fili- there was like a Filipino yeah. sort of element, oh, yeah. I think, to it. Teddy mm. bear film. Oh, so, uh, sorry, Thai. So, oh. um, Teddy Bear is a, a drama about a thirty-year-old, eight-year-old bodybuilder who takes a trip to Thailand to find a woman to marry. Oh, uh, t- stars a guy called Kim Cold, who mm. is a Danish actor and professional bodybuilder. Who was primarily known for uh, an appearance in Fast and Furious Six, apparently. Okay, so, and that's what he looks like. All oh, right, yeah. So, being that you know it's a it's a, a, a drama featuring mm-hmm. yeah. a guy like this, <laughs> that's actually got my interest. Sure. You know, uh, I, so I I do quite like a, a good mm-hmm. drama. Uh, the the title throws me off, mm. um, and the cover's not not a very good cover in my view. No. It's been put out by Network, who've done quite a lot of sort of. Mm, I sort of, yeah. I mean, sort of uh, festival films. I, could, right. I guess you could say indie movies. Sure. You know, they're kind of doing that kind of stuff. So there's there's some interesting films coming out from them, and this mm-hmm. seems one of them. Cool. Moving on to the Heretics. Um, now this cover grabs me straight away. Um, it's got a lot of nice quotes on it. I don't know. I don't know much about it, unfortunately. But you know, looking at the cover, you know the fact that it's got the pentagram and things like that. It, it, it's a side of sort of the occult which um, isn't played up enough, really. Have you ever seen a film called A Dark Song? No, I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, before, it, so it's, it's, it's that's worth seeing. Um, you know, because that, that sort of deals with a proper sort of side. You know, the Alistair Crowley sort of style of um, 
sort of the supernatural and the occult. Um, lots of sort of um, paganistic sort of rituals and things. Yeah, so this says after she's kidnapped, a young woman begins to undergo a strange transformation. Mm. And it's uh, a Canadian horror novel. Cool. But yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a grabby, grabby cover, that one. The, the original poster is actually really striking as well. Alright. Yeah, that's good. From the yep. director of Bite. Ah, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I shall, um, I'm going to be checking that one out probably during the week. Okay, what's next? We've got The Craze, Dead Man Walking. Now, this is the kind of movie that uh, Dave Wayne won't stock we'll in his a, store. We'll and uh, from, Mike, wouldn't uh, touch, basically. Yeah. Usually, you don't usually watch this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. do you? Uh, but this is your um, Jonathan Sofcott kind of, or, well, jo- I think this is one of Jonathan Sofcott's movies. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Josh Myers, who's done quite a few of these, mm. like... Um, uh, White Collar Hooligan Three, yeah, I think, yeah. and stuff. And we've got um, Leslie Grantham in one of his final roles before right. he uh, died earlier yeah. this year, and Chris Ellison. So it's playing. It's you know playing to a particular audience. Uh, I think it will do well in the supermarkets, and I would expect to see it in the DTV channel. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we we Brits tend to sort of lap this stuff up, don't we? Basically, um, you know, sort of anything. It's sort of, you know, uh, London gangster stuff. Just just flies off the shelves basically now who's that quote on the front of the poster from because I couldn't see it it's, apparently it's the grittiest craze film ever which yeah, I very, find very hard to believe but, uh, yeah which um, yeah. Um, I haven't seen Legend but I heard yeah. Legend was very very good but yeah. uh, my personal favourite uh, of, of the few craze films that mm. I've seen was the Spandau Ballet one basically I thought that was a really yeah. impressive for Peter Medak I think that's uh, right, yeah. a very good film So unforgettable I'd say you know mm. with the whole um you know, putting the knife to you know, smile, you're going to smile, oh, right, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, so that's based on the true story, apparently. So there you go. You know what you're going to get, I think, with that one. I think so, yeah. Triassic World is our An opportunistic final release, uh, one. Um, <laughs> if ever there was one. Yeah, a bit late for the, you know, kind of missed the party a bit, though, didn't it? Um, I think it's because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom's just coming out on DVD. Right, fair enough, yeah. That's so Triassic World is... Um, uh, about genetically modified cloned dinosaurs being used to grow human organs for transplants. Okay. However, when the dinosaurs <laughs> escape from the research lab and start wreaking havoc, or as they do, uh, the mm-hmm. scientists who created them need to find a way to fight back. Oh. And that is... Uh, it doesn't star anyone that I'm familiar with. It, it looks like it might be an asylum mm. film. It does look... It screams asylum, basically. In fact, I'm pretty sure it is mm-hmm. an asylum film. I think I've seen it on their website. So, the uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the cover. I think mm. the cover's great fun. Um, well, me, me and and Dave, how many Jurassic and Jurassic films have been out this year? Well, me and Dave really liked um, Jurassic Games. I thought that was that was pretty decent. Yeah, I want to check that out. That's, yeah. that's, I think that's just come on um, Amazon Prime. All right. And, uh, yeah, it does look a lot of fun, mm. that film. And this one is all cast and crows. So let me have a look at producers, and we've got David Michael. Yeah, David Michael Latt's producer, so it's definitely an asylum, asylum film. film. Yeah. Okay, and that is the end of the washing up for this week, and that brings us to the end of the show. So uh, Rich and I are going to sort of delve back into the Fighting Spirit Film Festival. Um, we're going to be watching a whole bunch of shorts this afternoon hopefully pick up a few more interviews um definitely a couple of guys there i want to speak to my my friend gino kang for, for example um maybe get a word with, in with uh, ross bios later on uh, but thanks for listening all the trailers will be linked onto the footnotes just scroll down and and you'll find those 
and all, all the pictures will be there as well. Uh, unless you're looking on your phone, and then I don't think they sort of be pulled through, unfortunately. But we put them up there anyway, just as, just in case um, Podbean sort themselves out. So thanks for listening, and join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments, and tune in again next time.